What is up, everyone? Happy Friday. Welcome to Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. And you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at primetimeklein, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. It is a busy weekend in the world of sports. We got UFC 269 coming up on Saturday. Vasily Lomachenko is back fighting coming up on Saturday. On Sunday, full slate of NFL games, a couple of exceptions, obviously. And the Grey Cup, for the 108th time, we'll be handing out a Grey Cup trophy. So extremely excited about all of it and extremely excited to chat with all of you about it today. Let's start in the Canadian Football League as the Hamilton Tiger Cats and Winnipeg Blue Bombers are set for Grey Cup 108 coming up on Sunday from Hamilton. And I thought we'll look at a few different angles on this game to to start the show. The first one is, I, I think, one of the more intriguing aspects of breaking this game down and what is home field going to mean. As you look at the Toronto game that Hamilton wins in the East Final to get to this point, and there were stages of that game where it felt like it was a home game. And this is one of the more passionate fan bases of the Canadian Football League. And I'm I'm kind of excited for Hamilton to be able to show up in that way come Sunday, as I do feel like there's a lot of talk about, oh, well, it's Saskatchewan and that's the fan base. And I, I feel like Hamilton doesn't get the respect that it deserves for being that football city. I think it kind of does out east, but I think this is going to be a real good chance to show how much support there is for the, uh, the the black and gold out there in Hamilton. So very intrigued at what the the fan experience and what that what what effect that is going to have on the game because I don't think it's going to be none. I, I I do think that this is going to be a close game, and I do think that this is going to be a a crowd that is going to have at least a bit of an effect on things. So that, that'll be interesting to see how things play out. When Winnipeg has the ball, I think this is the most intriguing matchup when you look at the on-the-field aspect of this game. You have a front seven for Hamilton that has played extremely well in the postseason. And you have a offensive line for Winnipeg that has four um, all-stars on it. And you have a running back in Andrew Harris, who is an absolute bowling ball and is probably the best player in the Canadian Football League. So this is where I think that intrigue again pops up. And if if you are able to somewhat even limit the rushing attack for the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I thought that was a major point in the game against Saskatchewan where they would hand the ball off to Harris on first down and then all of a sudden you're looking at a second and two, second and three, and that that is just a whole lot easier to live with when you're playing in the CFL and you only get three downs, right? So I... I think that is going to be crucial. If you can stop those early run plays for Andrew Harris, put them in second and six, second and seven, and so on, then you're forcing Zach Caleros to beat you. And I, I think Zach Caleros is good, but we saw that there are some flaws to him on in the West Final against Saskatchewan. So I, I find that matchup the most intriguing, and I think that is the key matchup in this game. If Winnipeg gets Andrew Harris rolling, there is no stopping this team. There is no beating them. And... Winnipeg's passing attack is also good enough that they can just beat you through the air as well. Like Caleros, I, I, I've talked about how inconsistent he can be. When he is at his best, there are a few better, and you have a pretty good receiving core with the featuring the league's leading receiver in Lawler. So there, there's, 
There's so many ways that Winnipeg can beat you, but the key one is when they try to establish that run, especially on first down. If you are able to stop them from doing that, life gets a whole lot more difficult for Winnipeg. So it, I, I would even I haven't looked at the um, the, the um, MVP odds for this game, but Jagera Davis could have a key role in how this game goes down, and I think that would be kind of interesting to see where he fits in on the um, on the MVP ba- ballot, I guess, because I, I think he could play a key role in this one. When Hamilton has the ball, the obvious storyline in this is Dane Evans is the quarterback for this game. We talked about it on Friday, or sorry, on, on Wednesday's show, about what he can do to get this offense kind of going. And and I think we have seen Brandon Banks used sparingly over, basically since he's come back. This is kind of the one where you got to just let it go, man. Like I, and I'm not saying that he is the one who is limiting himself. I think Hamilton is just being extra careful. But the, after this game, you got a whole lot of time to rest up whatever's been bothering you. So I, I think it is going to be a whole lot of Brandon Banks. And I think we're going to see a whole lot of creativity from this Hamilton Tiger Cats offensive coaching staff. I, I think you're going to see quite a few little bits of trickeration, as they like to say. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see what Hamilton brings to the table. But we saw last week, and we've seen all season long, I, I've said it all season long, Winnipeg has the best pass rush in the Canadian Football League. They have an opportunity to make Dane Evans' life miserable. And like I don't even like Jeff Coat didn't even have that big of a game last week. So we will see what Winnipeg's pass rush is able to do, but they they do have an opportunity to really be just game breakers in this in this game. Odds are Winnipeg wins this one. The the Bombers are the favorites coming in. They they are the team that has been the standard bearer over the last couple of seasons. And I think now they are placed in a tough spot against the Hamilton team that might be set up pretty well to beat them, but also a Hamilton team that is at home. And how does that play into it? The line, as I am recording this, is set at uh, Winnipeg minus three. I'll take the Tie Cats to cover. I think Winnipeg wins, but I think this one comes right down to the wire. This has, uh, in my opinion, this has all the makings of a classic Grey Cup. So I, I will take Hamilton to cover, but Winnipeg to win. So I, uh, admittedly, not getting a whole lot of wiggle room with that, as I think the Tie Cats cover the three, but I I do think Winnipeg is able to either get a late kick or get a late stop to win this game by one possession. But it it should be a fun one coming up this Sunday from Hamilton. On to the NFL as we now get into week 14 of the National Football League. And we, uh, I'm recording this during the Vikings-Steelers game, so uh, I'm sorry if I'm missing the breakdown. I didn't want to watch that game anyway. It's Again, two teams that I'm I'm kind of over it with. Now, I'm starting it with a game that I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of brain power on either, but it was one when I saw the line, it was kind of, oh, oh, Carolina at home favored by two and a half, which essentially is Vegas saying if this was at a neutral site, this would end up being a pick'em. I think Carolina is better than Atlanta. Cam Newton at quarterback, though, has been a bit of a concern. There is no Christian McCaffrey now for Carolina, so... 
there are concerns on the offensive side for the Panthers, but I just think that defense is so good that they are going to give Atlanta some problems. You might even see uh, a defensive score kind of shift things a little bit. So I, I think Carolina wins this one. I, I just have the minus 135. I'm not going to play around with the point spread. I also like the under 42 in this game. I think Carolina's defense is good, and I think their offense isn't, and I think that leads to a low-scoring game. Baltimore taking on Cleveland. This is an interesting spot. You have a Baltimore team coming off of a very frustrating loss at the hands of the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, just a week ago, and now you are facing a Cleveland Browns team that you just played a couple of weeks ago, and for Cleveland, this is a unique spot because they get Baltimore, then a bye, and then Baltimore again. So they've been able to focus on the Ravens for almost a month now. I think there's going to be, again, a lot of creativity in what Cleveland is able to bring, and Everything is telling me that I, I should go Cleveland in this spot, but I, I just feel like Baltimore is the better team, and when I get the opportunity to get the better team and get the points, I'm kind of wired to take that. So I will take Baltimore plus two and a half. Dallas taking on Washington. Washington's defense has stepped up over the last little bit, but it has not stepped up against the greatest of competition. Dallas can certainly be that on their best day. This is a team that is has sputtered a bit against a Washington team that has been winning and is kind of creeping their way back into a playoff spot, kind of like they did last year, where it wasn't pretty all the time, but they were able to, to get some wins. I think Dallas wins this one. I don't think it's particularly close, so I, I will gladly give up four and a half points for Dallas here. Jacksonville taking on Tennessee. This game's going to suck, but Tennessee's going to win by more than eight and a half points, so give me the Titans. Raiders taking on Kansas City. The Raiders did a piss-poor job of defending Kansas City last time, and my thought that the Raiders had kind of figured things out offensively against Dallas on that Thanksgiving game, that argument loses a lot of water when it's against Washington, and now all of a sudden it's four of your last five that you haven't reached the 20-point mark in. I think Kansas City wins this one pretty convincingly. I think they will cover nine and a half. New Orleans taking on the New York Jets. Taysom Hill dealing with a hand injury. It sounds like he is going to play. Uh, the Saints just five and a half point favorites. I like the Saints against a bad Jets team. I think a lot of that is based on some issues I have with the New York Jets. I, as a rule, don't spend a lot of time talking about Houston Texan games, so we won't hear. I like Seattle minus nine because they're better. Denver taking on Detroit. Detroit dealing with uh, a couple COVID things, and I think last week was kind of their Super Bowl. So I think Denver puts a stomping on these guys. We've seen, like with Denver, they are a little bit up and down, but we have seen Denver can kick the crap out of bad teams. Detroit's a bad team. Denver gets it done minus 10. You got the Giants taking on the LA Chargers. Chargers favored by 10. They've also had some COVID issues running through their locker room. I'm concerned about that, but the Giants are going to be starting Jake Fromm at quarterback. So give me the Chargers minus 10. Tampa Bay against Buffalo. The Bills have still yet to really show up against a high-quality team all season long. And now they are taking on one of the highest-quality teams in Tampa Bay. I think the Bucks kill them. So, absolutely, I will. even though we're, we're past one key number of three, I would gladly take Tampa Bay minus three and a half. Cincinnati taking on the San Francisco 49ers. 
This is a massive game for both of these teams. San Francisco working their way back into the NFC playoff hunt. Ditto for Cincinnati. A lot of injuries at running back for San Francisco. Debo Samuel has been banged up as well. I like Cincinnati in this one. They are the underdogs. I'm just going to take the money line. Give me Cincinnati plus 105. Sunday night football. Green Bay taking on Chicago. Aaron Rodgers declared that he owns the Chicago Bears. I I think that ownership will continue. I don't see Chicago being able to keep this game close. So Green Bay takes it, uh, and I think they cover minus 12.5. Monday Night Football, Arizona facing the LA Rams. Speaking of teams that the the bloom has come off the rose, the Rams have really started to to falter here in the second half of the season. I think Arizona takes advantage of that. And the the fact that I only have to give up two and a half points to take Arizona in this spot, I feel really happy about. That is one of the games I am the most confident in. Um, So give me the Rams, or give me, sorry, the Arizona Cardinals minus two and a half on Monday night football. music that you hear is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent, which X is where the A's would be, and find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. UFC and boxing taking over the fight world this weekend as UFC 269 goes down from Las Vegas, Nevada, while it is Vasily Lomachenko against Richard Comey from the world's most famous arena at Madison Square Garden. This should be a fun night of fights. Let's start with the boxing, shall we? As Lomachenko is looking to gain some of the ground that he lost in the pound-for-pound rankings with a loss to Teofimo Lopez back in October of 2020, he has a win over... Um, Nakatani back in June, so he will close out a two-fight year as he takes on Richard Comey this weekend. Uh, Lomachenko with a record of 15 and 2, 11 of those wins coming by knockout facing Comey, who comes into this one without a picture on his Wikipedia page, so that's a great start. Born in Ghana, he is 34 years old, coming into this fight with a record of 30 and 3, one of those three losses coming at the hands of Teofimo Lopez at Madison Square Garden back in 2019. Comey has fought just once since then against Jackson Marinez. This Feels like a get-right spot for Lomachenko, coming off of, again, a a loss to Lopez, but then a a fight against Nakatani that didn't really do a whole lot for him. Oh, by the way, this is for the WBO Intercontinental Lightweight title. I'm sure everyone knows the lineage of that. We don't need to get into it today, but... um, That this just, this feels like Lomachenko is just better than Comey. And Lomachenko's going to go into all of his fights just being better than Comey. The the main focus of this is, does Lomachenko close the show? When you look at the record for, um, for Comey, again, three losses, two of them by split decision, back-to-back split decision losses to close out two th- 2016. That couldn't have felt awesome. Uh, One was at Tough Fight Gym in Moscow. I never want to go there. Um, His other loss, though, he got knocked out in two rounds against Teofimo Lopez to lose the IBF lightweight title back at Madison Square Garden. I think Lomachenko wins this one convincingly. I think he wins it by way of knockout. Looking at the odds, as we are taping this, Lomachenko by knockout is minus 265. That is the best value I think you can get. If you can call the round, obviously that's great value. I I think it's probably early, 
but I, I think Lomachenko ends up getting it done. Uh, minus 265 for the knockout. I like that one. Uh, we're not going to do a, a gigantic rundown of the, the UFC card. Like, there's just too many fights, or not too many fights, too many things going on this weekend. Full NFL slate, CFL Grey Cup, and the boxing. So, um, just a, a couple of fights that kind of jumped out at me from an odds perspective. I like Dan Ige at plus 135 over Josh Emmett, two guys who have been close to working their way into contention at times before. In the featherweight division, you have uh, Emmett as the number seven ranked fighter. Ige is coming in at number nine. Ige has basically lost, I don't want to say lost to every good fighter that he's fought. That's That's not fair, but... A couple of tough losses for him, but I, I think he's able to get the job done against Josh Emmett. I think they are two pretty evenly matched fighters, so give me Ige plus 135. I think in the uh, co-main event of the evening, Amanda Nunes inside the distance, minus 450, and under one and a half rounds at plus 105. I like the, both of those very, very much, and I'll get why, get to why in a minute. And uh, Dustin Diamond Poirier at minus 165 over Charles de Bronx. Oliveira. Let's get into the two main fights of the night. In the co-main event, it is Amanda Nunes defending the Women's Bantamweight Championship against Juliana Pena. Nunes is 33 years old, standing 5 foot 8, uh, born in Bahia, Brazil, training at American Top Team. Her record, 21 wins, 4 losses, 13 of those wins coming by knockout with an additional 4 by submission. One of those submission wins was her last win against Megan Anderson back at UFC 259. That was, as Floyd Mayweather liked to say a lot, easy work. Not um, not a night where there was a whole lot of resistance provided from Megan Anderson against Amanda Nunes. It is uh, currently the 12th win in a row for Nunes. Her last loss came to Kat Zingano back at UFC 178. Fun note, Amanda Nunes beat Shayna Baszler to start the win streak by way of leg kicks, which... <laughs> uh, but Shayna Baszler now in the WWE. Eight finishes during that win streak for Amanda Nunes. This is her first time defending the belt since 2019. Also the first time she's fighting in front of fans since 2019. That loss against Zingano, the only loss that Nunes has suffered in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Nunes has been a pro since 2008. She lost her pro debut. She won her next three fights in a combined 1 minute 29 seconds. Not a gal that takes to losing kindly. And one note that I found very interesting in this. Obviously women's MMA is still relatively new when it comes to the world-famous octagon. You don't have the lineage going back to UFC 1. You don't even have it going back to UFC 100. But for Amanda Nunes, she has defeated every champion that has ever existed in women's UFC at 135 and 145 pounds. She's also defeated half of the champions at 125 with victories over Valentina Shevchenko. She is the women's goat and certainly, I think, deserves to be in the conversation of all-time greats in the entire sport of mixed martial arts. Hoping to knock her off on Saturday night from T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada is Juliana Pena, 32 years old at 5'7". She was born in Spokane, Washington, splitting her time training at Sick Jitsu and Valley Flow Striking. She comes in with a record of 10-4, three of those wins by knockout, four of them by submission. 
submission in her four losses. She's been stopped three times, twice by submission. Her last fight was a win at UFC 257, where she submitted Sarah McMahon in the third round. That brought her to three and two in her last five, six and two in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, she enters the UFC by winning the Ultimate Fighter the season that Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate were the coaches. Watching the previews for this, it struck me how confident Juliana Pena was. And they weren't outright cheeky about it, but they were a little cheeky. They they said a couple of times, or, Nune, or uh, Pena, sorry, said a couple of times that I'm the only girl who's calling out Amanda Nunes. I'm the only one who who wants to take it to the champ. Everyone else is running uh, running away afraid from Nunez. And then Nunez goes, I like it when the, the, the challengers like come to me. Like, I, I really appreciate it. And they ran through a montage of like six in a row who called out Amanda Nunes. <laughs> it's like, you know, you might not be the only one. Um, I understand. Like, Pena, first I want to say, Pena is an extremely talented fighter. She is well-rounded. Um, she certainly has strengths in other areas, but she is she is a highly skilled cha challenger for Amanda Nunes. But this whole thing that she's painting, that she is she she's been deserving of this title shot for so long. Three and two in her last five. Now, against difficult competition, for sure. But still, three and two in her last five. And the the last win against McMahon after McMahon was on a year-long layoff and had fought just four times since 2016. So I just, I, I am struggling to come up with reasons when you look at the resume as to why we should be, be believing in Juliana Pena coming up on Saturday against Amanda Nunez. Nunez is just, she is great at everything. And I, I think Pena... I don't know what the game plan is to beat this version of Nunez because the last time we saw her get beat was not this version of Nunez. Like she is, um, she, she has developed in ways that few fighters have been able to develop before. And that's been the thing that has struck me about Nunez. And I know I'm bouncing around from point to point here. The thing that has struck me about Nunez is this was not a fighter who was, hey, everyone watch out. This, this, this fighter is going to be one of the greatest of all time someday. That that's just that that wasn't really the the thing for Nunez coming up. It's like yeah, she's dangerous, but then just through sheer hard work and determination, and learning and evolving as a martial artist, she has turned herself into one of the greatest of all time. Like she is, she she's not like a. I, I don't want to say Megan Anderson was just born with a bunch of gifts and look at her as a title challenger because there's a, you know, like she's shredded. So obviously a lot of work goes into that. But Nunez is not someone who is like that, who is built, who, who just born with a lot of God-given skills, right? Like all everything Nunez has, she has absolutely worked for. And I have the utmost respect for Amanda Nunez. And it's just, it is fun to watch her go from, oh yeah, she's good to, oh my God, she's the best that's ever done it. And it, it admittedly took me a couple of times to, to be like, okay, that this is, this is for real now. There was a couple of like, oh, she won. Okay. Well, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. She beat Rhonda, but like the, the skills don't really match up. And then you watch the rest of it and it's like, oh my word. So how does Juliana Pena win this fight? In a word, I don't think she does, but the way Pena, uh, I think, is going to attack this, I think she's going to try to press Nunez. I think she's going to try to get her off of her game plan and try to, to bully Nunez, because that is not something that many have been able to do before. The problem is, there's a reason for that, and that is because Nunez's footwork and her striking ability is such that if you come at her, she is... 
skilled in the ways of getting out of the way and then punching you in the head really, really hard, or uh, a subtle step and a kick or something along those lines. I think the reason I think that this goes under one and a half rounds is not because I don't have respect for Pena. I just think the way she is going to try to press this, that this isn't going to be like in, in NASCAR. This isn't going to be trying to conserve any fuel here. This is going to be redlining this thing. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure from Pena, but on the feet is where Nunez has the greatest advantage. Pena is a very skilled grappler. If, if she can pressure Nunez, get her against the fence and get her down to the mat, you get at least a little bit closer into the world that you would feel comfortable with Pena. Now, Nunez is skilled at grappling as well. Again, one of the best fighters in the history of the sport, so she's going to be good everywhere. But I think that is the spot that Pena has the best opportunity to win this fight in. But the way I see it going down, Pena pressures early, maybe even even gets like a, oh, wow, she's, she's actually like having some success here. And then Nunez catches her at some point and drops her, and that puts a wrap on it. So I think Nunez wins this one by knockout. I have it going down. Uh, either in the first or early in the second round. Moving on to the main event of the evening. It is for the lightweight championship as Charles Oliveira defends his title against the challenger, Dustin Poirier. Oliveira is 32 years old, standing 5'10", with a 74-inch reach, born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. 31-8 and eight is the record with one no contest. His last win was where he gained that championship, knocking out Michael Chandler in the second round of an exciting fight at UFC 262. Uh, this is a nine-fight winning streak for Charles Oliveira. He has finished eight of those nine. The only one he didn't was Tony Ferguson, and you need a few weapons to knock that guy out. He holds a 19 and eight record in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. 17 of those wins. He holds a, rec or a 19 and eight record in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He made his debut. I think we brought this up last time. He made his debut at UFC Live Jones versus Matt Yushchenko. The only reason people saw his fight on the main... Hey, dude fought on Facebook. The Facebook prelims for UFC Live. That brings me back. And even then, while we were watching that, I remember watching those and thinking, you kids don't know how lucky you had two prelims that you guys get. Because um, that was the thing at the time where it was just like, if you want to see the prelims, you hope someone gets murked in the first round or... You wait for uh, UFC Unleashed to come out, and you hope that the, the fight ends up on that, or eventually when the DVD comes out. It was a different time, kids. Gather around. But the reason he was able to be seen on the main card is because he destroyed his opponent in under a minute, and it was easy to slip that submission in to the television broadcast. So it's been a minute. Also on that prelim, current WWE Raw Tag Team Champion Matt Riddle. Brian Stan, also on that. Stan has had two entire careers since then. He retires as a fighter, not at this event. I don't think it's... No, he fought later. Um, and then he was a broadcaster for a bit, and now I don't know what he's doing, but I think he's pretty successful at it because he kind of just seems like that kind of a guy. So, long story short, dude's been around in the Ultimate Fighting Championship for a bit. He's been a pro since 2008. He is taking on 
the former UFC interim lightweight champion of Dustin Poirier, 32 years old, standing 5'9 with a 72-inch reach, born in Lafayette, Louisiana. Poirier comes in with a 28-6 and record with one no contest, 14 of his wins coming by way of knockout, another 7 by submission. His last win back at UFC 264, um, it officially goes down as technical knockout, but he wins by Conor McGregor, have his leg fooling in half. So there's that. Back-to-back -back wins over Conor McGregor. It's a three-fight win streak for Poirier after losing to Khabib. He has lost nine of his, or sorry, he has won nine of his last 11. There's one no contest in there. And then again, Khabib. 20-5 and five in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He made his debut back at UFC 125. Let's look. I, I didn't take notes on who was all on that. UFC 125 was Frankie Edgar against Gray Maynard uh, for the Lightweight Championship. This was on January 1st of 2011. Holy smokes. Uh, yes, it was a, a split draw that night between Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard. The co-main event was Brian Stan against Chris Lieben. You had Nate Diaz losing to Dong Hyung Kim. Clay Guido with submission win over Takanori Gomi is on this card. Um, Dustin Poirier with a unanimous decision win on the televised portion of the prelims against Josh Grisby. Uh, who else fought? Antonio McKee was on this card. No kidding. That's crazy. Uh, also, you have Jacob Volkman on this. So again, uh, a nice a nice trip back into UFC past for the Ultimate Fighting Championship debut for Dustin Poirier. Obviously, things have gone well for him since then. He has not had back-to-back -back losses. That debut in the Ultimate Fighting Championship coming after a one-and-one -one run in WEC. He is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I could not be more excited for this main event. You have two of the most technically sound fighters in the history of the sport going head-to-head. -head. I think the striking exchanges are going to be beautiful. I just think both fighters are so technically sound with the, the, the striking base off of those straight punches, but they both also can bring some power with that. Ask Conor McGregor about that. Ask Michael Chandler about that. But Poirier maybe loads up a little bit more than Oliveira does, but Oliveira's is just, it's technique. It is it, picture perfect. Um, Oliveira was vulnerable in a couple of occasions against Chandler. Um, Chandler dropped him in the first round, also had him in a pretty deep guillotine. I think Poirier needs to avoid the floor in this one, um, which will be a, a change for him as he is going into, or coming off of a couple of fights where that was definitely the strength. And you saw that in the one round we did get in the second Conor McGregor fight. He was beating up that boy badly on the ground. Um, I, I think that that's an area he's going to want to avoid. He does have a uh, BJJ black belt, but we know there's levels to that game. And Oliveira is, takes that technical proficiency with him to the ground. Not that Poirier doesn't, but it's just, it's on another level. I think Poirier wins this. I think that on the feet, a, I think that Poirier is good enough that he can keep it on the feet, and I think he does everything that Oliveira does well standing up, but I think he does it with a little bit more, for lack of a more technical term, oomph behind it. <laughs> I think he can bring a bit more power, and I think that he is going to... I, I think he's going to close the show on Oliveira. I, I think he ends up getting a knockdown and uh, ends up, sorry, ends up getting a knockout in this one. So I, I'm not going to put money on that one, but I do like Poirier minus 165. Either way, it's going to be a hell of a night of fights and I am so excited for it. And this was fun breaking it down with all of you today. That is going to do it for Couch Potato Diary today. Thank you all so much 
for tuning in. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. Uh, I think we're going to have an exciting announcement coming up on Monday, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can message me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetime at PK. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Enjoy the football. Enjoy the fights. We'll talk all about it on Monday. I'm out.